2: It's only a kick, a
3: jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans,
2: after all, it's only pressure. You got this,
3: Adidas. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski,
0: Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner,
1: welcome into episode two of the Natural Hat Podcast. I'm Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan. Who is that other guy? And that looks like Jamie Eisner. Back, <laughs> Jamie Eisner with the Jamie Eisner background for his uh, his yes. Zoom call today. Uh, uh,
0: Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it's been a while. I don't know how many shows you guys have recorded since the last time I've been on, but two or three, I'd imagine. Yeah, oh, probably.
2: Because the count changes every time. The number of the podcast changes every time, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, sh- I'm sure. So, And everything has
0: been strange. We weren't going to have a season. Now we are going to have a season. Maybe January 13th, maybe later. Maybe Maybe we know what division Minnesota and Colorado are going to play in. We don't know.
1: So, really, what, what is different from when you were on here last? I really – I forgot to run this by you guys. We should have just done this podcast as if Jamie never left and just never – like anybody that heard that going away podcast for Jamie would have thought they imagined the whole thing. Um, some personal news for Jamie. I believe I heard that you spent $1.2 million on a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Was That that was you? Uh, no, it, it was
0: not. I actually lost out on my bid. I, I would not go a penny above 1.1. Oh, well, that's
2: – you know what? You got you to gotta draw the line somewhere. But you did drop some bad money on a Pequod pizza, I hear.
0: I did. I was uh, – I went there under recommendation from several of my Chicago friends and I was unimpressed uh, with my first Pequod's visit. So uh, where I am in the South Loop, there's just – there are Lou and Giordano's all like within a two-minute walk. So it's going to be a minute before uh, I make the schlep up to, to Pequod's
1: again. But I will give them another chance. And listeners can't see this, but Craig is actually wiping tears away from his eyes right now. Well, I I miss all of those places. Pequot is is
2: a a very popular place in Chicago, but sounds like they had an off night when Jamie was there. Maybe it was intentional. I don't know. Uh, It could be. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time I was sabotaged.
1: Um, all right, guys. Let's uh, let's start with some hockey news here. You want to start with the uh, the potential new divisions? That I don't think these are necessarily a shock, although Jamie sort of alluded to it. They keep moving a couple teams around. But uh, what are your thoughts on these on these uh, these four divisions for this season? Wow, that you have all <laughs> of those thoughts is more than usual. <laughs> uh, I
0: mean, uh, so it, my my first reaction when I saw this was that the new central or whatever we're going to call it uh, is way weaker than it needs to be. Uh, and especially when you look at the team that should be at the very top, like as constructed right now, if the lightning are going to win that division by probably 10 points in a shortened season. Yeah. Uh, and if that was a full season, we'll maybe that's Atlanta. 15 to 16 points. Uh, I just, we'll see if they end up moving some of these teams around. We've, you know, we've heard Minnesota might go to the Pacific. They may or may not, but, or whatever the new Pacific, but, I mean, I mean, what's the, what's the second best team? I mean, Carolina.
2: Yeah. Carolina yeah. is but it. You know, people probably go like, oh, Columbus was a playoff team, but Columbus is not a, very good team. that's a bad division. Uh, Nashville is on its way down. Detroit is bad. The Florida is bad. bad. Ugh, that is yeah. that, that division, when it was constructed, it looked to me like they said, let's get the Blackhawks in the playoffs again. Yeah.
0: And also like, I, I do like that. There's this, that nobody wants Minnesota. Like, there's no division for Minnesota. They've like, nobody wants to be, like, sullied or, like, ugh, we don't want them in our division. Even though, like, they're probably easy wins for everybody but the Coyotes and Darcy Kemper, it's like, everybody else, like, nah, we, we don't want this team.
1: Yeah, it is weird. And Jamie's 100% right. That division is is just – I mean, I guess maybe Florida could climb into second, but if that's the case, I would say they're probably, like like you said, 17 or 18 points behind Tampa. That's – uh, that might even be bad for Tampa to just be able to coast through the entire regular season even more so than usual.
0: I mean, look at if you look at this, you look at you have an elite team in Tampa, then you have a probably a solid playoff contender in Carolina, then fringe wild card teams in Chicago, Columbus, Florida, maybe Nashville still considered a fringe wild card team. I don't know. I mean, but. You don't really have much competition there. And you got the, then you got the Red Wings, which are a free win every single week. So, and Minnesota, who's out, outside the playoff picture. I just, I mean, you're looking at a bunch of teams where maybe three of those teams in the division, including the Lightning, go above NHL 500. Like,
2: eh? Yeah, that's my biggest argument for putting Minnesota in the Pacific or whatever it's going to be called, because you need to. When, when you looked at the original divisions that Pierre LeBron tweeted, it was. Dallas, Colorado and St. Louis, moving to the Pacific and then you throw in Vegas and that would have been the four teams with the top winning percentages, top four winning percentages in the Western Conference last year. That's a stacked division and the Coyotes would have to supplant one of those teams to make it. So when you when you look at what you guys just said about the Central Division, to me moving Minnesota out and moving one of the other other teams back to the Central really balances these balances things out a little bit more. I still think the Central's a weak division though.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is sort of a messed-up division if you look at the Coyotes because, like you just said, Craig, you have Colorado and Dallas and Vegas and St. Louis if they do it that way. So, I mean, you have those four that are almost certainly going to get in. Then you have Anaheim, L.A. and San Jose that have no chance because they're, A, not good, and B, in a division like that. And then you have the Coyotes. haven't since March.
0: List. That's yes. the thing, too. Uh, of, I mean, this is just unbelievably, incredibly long. We're going on almost a year layoff. <laughs> For some of these teams, it's—I don't know what to make of this. But to me, I mean, I know that, I know St. Louis isn't really the one that's being talked about being moved, but that's the one geographically that would make the most sense for me, even so over Dallas, because Dallas played in the Pacific up until what five six years ago or however long ago. I've lost track of time. This last year has been five years, so I don't know how, how time works anymore. But it's only been five years. Yeah, I know, but uh, it just—it's—I don't know—it's odd to me, and it's—it's. It's, I understand, like you're, you don't know when good teams are going to be good or whatnot. But boy, it feels like no matter what, always happens with these realignment discussions, whether it's for post COVID NHL or what they want to do post Seattle Kraken.
1: How do you draw the short end of the stick almost every time? Well, and especially this time, I mean, we know this is realignment for one year. So like, you know, yeah, that's that's always a, a it's a fair argument to say, okay, well, if you put them in this division, you don't know that that division is going to be strong in five years. But this particular year, we have a pretty good feeling that those four teams were the four best in the Western Conference last year. They probably shouldn't all be in the same division. And honestly, if you go with the, the, the Penguins, Capitals, Flyers, Bruins, all in the same division too, that's that's fairly, that's fairly loaded as well. I mean, these are very unbalanced. I understand there's nothing they can do about the Canadian division. And I love that idea of the Canadian division for one year, but, uh, but yeah, having one division that's so terrible leaves two other divisions completely loaded. Yeah.
2: And look, I've heard some people say that you shouldn't even worry about travel because the Canadian division is going to have to do it anyway. So maybe they should balance the divisions that way as well by forcing some teams to travel. But I don't know. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The Safety has to be the, the, the first concern here, and then the wear and tear on the players, right? What, what, which I guess is a safety concern as well. So you want to limit, limit travel as much as you can in these setups. So I like the idea of doing it geographically. But again, it's a matter of figuring out who the eighth team is going to be in the West, assuming Dallas stays in the West.
1: Here, let's um, before we move on, that Canadian division, who makes the playoffs? Like, What are the top four in that division? Who's the worst at this point? Is it? Is it still Ottawa? It's still is Ottawa. It's still yeah. It? Okay. I, I, mean, heard somebody, I, mean, I heard somebody. I heard mean, somebody doing rankings. Well, I was. I think Montreal's at least the next candidate, but I heard somebody in Canada doing rankings. They had Montreal second. I have seen some
2: really high rankings of the Canadians, and I can't figure out where it's coming from. To me, this—I mean, even if if they're getting one the province. Thing that they've gotten in the past, what's that? It's coming from one specific <laughs> province. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even if they get the goaltending that they have in the past, I, I don't see them as more than just a playoff team. But to me, Montreal the same issues that we saw
1: when they were making those mild runs before. What do they have up the middle? That's the best way to describe it. Montreal just making a mild run. Who? How are they better than Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, or Winnipeg in this division? I don't know.
2: and I don't know what's going to happen with Winnipeg. I mean, they've they've taken some hits, obviously. So that that's a candidate, but. That's my first team out of this Canadian division if we we're going to do it. I,
0: I would – in some order, it's Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and then I think that team just under the cut line is, is Winnipeg. Just uh, that, that team's lost a lot of pieces. Yeah, and if, if Hellebuck isn't playing Vezina caliber goaltending, which he can, and he's done it for multiple years at different points, but if there's any slip there, they don't have a chance.
2: I still yeah, that's am. Not, fair. I'm still not sold on the Canucks either. They 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 had some tough losses this off season. I don't think they managed their off season very well. Um, you know, I know I know they're really they're they're really talented in their top six, obviously, but they lost their goaltender too. I, I don't know. I we'll see what Vancouver does. I mean, you said this before, Jamie. They are a candidate for nonlinear progression. I could see them dropping off a mm-hmm. bit too. But I do think Toronto, Calgary, and Edmonton are all playoff teams.
1: Um, Anything else in the divisions before we start looking at the 56-game schedule and how that's going to break down?
0: I guess the only other thing would be, I know they were this is the time of year where they're always, I guess not, well, before the season, the calendars don't count anymore in sports, but this is always the time of year where Buffalo hype starts, and I imagine their division alignment will allow them that that hype to be subdued a little bit more than it should. Again, I get the Taylor Hall sign. I get how good that top line is going to be, but whenever this team plays a road game, they're garbage and they have been for years, and they still have plenty of other issues on the blue line and net elsewhere. Um, top line will be fun, but uh, I, I'm just going to get on the record here because I don't know how many of these shows I'm going to be on before the season uh, that let's don't start the Buffalo hype train again.
1: We can we can oh, cut this off every year. It's absolutely going to start because they're going to begin with like a three game series against New Jersey somehow, and they're going to start like two zero and one, and we're going to see those questions on Twitter of is this the year we can finally accept Buffalo into the playoffs? And then they're going to finish a distant. What, would that be sixth, seventh in that division?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're behind Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly, so that's the first four, Islanders, five, Rangers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sixth,
1: maybe seventh. I mean, even if Pittsburgh drops off or the Rangers aren't there yet, Buffalo is still not a playoff team, are they? I mean, you've got Boston, Washington, no. Philadelphia, the Islanders for sure, and I would it, say Pittsburgh and the Rangers too.
0: And by the way, I think it's good. Uh, and again, if you're a Sabres fan, close your ears. And you probably already have. You're not listening to the show anymore. But uh, it actually would be good for just excitement, especially for trade deadline, if they're not in it. Because the Taylor Hall sweepstakes for a team to make a run late in the year will be extremely exciting. Because that's a it's a hell of a player to possibly move teams that late in the year. I guess for the second or move for the second year in a row, but this time later in the year. Uh, unless they can kind of convince themselves when they're like six points back with 10 to play or something that
1: they're still a playoff team. Yeah, maybe the Coyotes will be in on that. Oh, that would be nice. That would be exciting. Yeah. Just don't take them to dinner. The um, the the worst thing for Buffalo, you're right, would be to kind of be hanging around the race in their minds, not trade Taylor Hall, obviously not make the playoffs, and then ultimately lose Taylor Hall and not even get the, the playoff experience. Um, okay, the schedule probably looking like 56 games, if that's the case. I mean, I like the idea of this Canadian division because – Calgary and Edmonton playing each other, whatever that's going to be like nine times is, I feel like somebody's definitely going to get arrested on the ice, but we're going to get really sick of seeing some of these teams. Like if you are in Minnesota's division, can you imagine playing the Minnesota wild eight times this season? (sighs) Yikes. Although I hope this in some
0: (laughs) way leads to a significant long-term change in the playoff
1: structure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't know that it will, but I, I, I agree with it. I don't know. Like what is the plan here? Basically just to kind of get through the season with this and then go back to normal divisions. And I just, yeah, I, we're going to stick with so 16, right? Essential. Yeah. Are you guys there? <laughs> Jamie's just smiling after sending us a message. Um, <laughs> We have. Can we just read what that message is? I mean, why, sure, why not? A secret. Jamie is getting a couch delivered in approximately two to three minutes. So yes, yeah, just so everybody knows, but it's not it's not the uh, it's not the couch delivery. It's the smile on Jamie's face of I get my couches delivered and you have to go out there and pick them up like plebeians. <laughs> um, what are we going to do this season? if a team has to miss a game or, you know what I mean? Like it's that, we saw it happen in the NFL and then they just kind of pushed through them, but there's only 16 NFL games. There's a lot more than 16 hockey games this season.
2: Well, they're trying to build some dates into the schedule for makeup games, but it's going to be tight because they have to finish by the time the Olympics arrive in July, because um, they have the same rights holder NBC and they don't have the platforms to to uh, broadcast both the playoffs and you know, all all the events that are going on at the Olympics. So it's going to be tight. If if this becomes a problem, if they have a lot of cancellations, I, I don't know what they're going to do at that point. They may have to look at shortening the season. Or I can't imagine having teams playing different numbers of games. But hey, it just happened last year. So maybe they'll go on winning percentages again, just
1: like they did. I will say last season, uh, you know, them doing the bubble, the NBA doing the bubble was 100% the right thing, and it, obviously, because it worked out, and the right team or you know, somebody from the the right group of good teams that made it legitimate won the Stanley Cup. They didn't have any positive tests, all that stuff. Um, I'm a little more encouraged that they can pull this off now, just because we have seen Major League Baseball and the NFL, to a certain extent, do it. Uh, again, this isn't the same sport. You know, you're playing in colder climates, you're playing indoors. So I understand that there's there's more, um, I should just say different risk, I guess. And, and who knows, like, I mean, I guess technically you're playing at the beginning during flu season. Uh, but I am a lot more encouraged than I would have been if you had told me this was the plan six months ago. I wanted
2: to ask you guys something else. When, you, when you're looking at the 56-game the schedule, other than the Canadian divisions, which are going to have a, a weird scheduling agreement because they only have seven teams instead of eight, This means that you're going to play your division opponents eight times, four home, four away. I've heard both arguments here. Does it make more sense to knock out all four of those games in one city at one time to limit travel, limit all the risks that are associated with travel? Or does it make more sense to do two games now and then come back for two games later because of the uh, ebb and flow of a season where guys might be missing and, you know, it sort of balances things out with uh, hot streaks and cold streaks and injuries.
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, I love having Jamie here, but he can't talk because he's on mute right now. This is this is like um, around the horn where he got in trouble, and now he's just, he's just, he's just a frozen image of Jamie. Um, I understand, like, the whole competitive balance in a normal season. You wouldn't want to play – you wouldn't want to have – pick two teams. Toronto and Montreal play four times, and Montreal catches Toronto without Austin Matthews, and that's an unfair advantage because he comes back two weeks later and somebody else has to see him. I get all that. We're so far from a perfect world, though. It's not even like worth saying. In a perfect world, we would do this. In a horribly imperfect world, uh, I think you got to play the games when you can. And I know I just said with the NFL and Major League Baseball getting through their seasons, I'm I'm more encouraged. Or I guess the NFL hasn't done it yet, but they're clearly just going to push through it. Uh, but college football has been a mess, and mm. what we've seen from college football, especially over the last couple weeks is you either need to change the rules to get your team into the championship that'll make you the most money, or you just need to play as many games as you can when you can. And I think only college football is the only one willing to change rules specifically to make money. So would you do the four at one time or would you do two and two? I I think I'd do the four. I think what I would do is I would would do the four, but then I would make sure, like using the Toronto-Montreal example, Toronto comes to Montreal for four games, but then Montreal doesn't go to Toronto for like three months. You know what I mean? So you at least spread it out a little bit that way. Yeah, I I get that that's not as fun seeing the same team play four times in a row. And again, somebody's going to have to play Minnesota all week. Yay. But I think that's just the reality that we have to deal with right now.
2: It really does limit the travel. You talk about seven road trips then for an entire season. So that's, I mean, when you're talking about health and, and safety being the most important factors right now, it seems more logical to me, but I'm not sure that's what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, look, the the idea of competitive balance and true fairness in COVID sports times doesn't exist, and I think we have to get out of that mentality across the sports world of that it's not about what a normal season would be or what's most fair. It's about what it gives you the me- best chance to complete a season and complete a season with the most potential healthy players. And to do that is the limiting the amount of times guys have to move, have to travel have to do extra testing, all that other stuff. Uh, you create almost like mini week-long bubbles by, by doing it in that way. And no, is it the most aesthetically pleasing brand of hockey in terms of how many times you s- you're seeing the same people? No. But, you know, if you're a baseball fan, you're used to watching your team play three or four games in a row against the same team. I know that's not what we see in hockey, but we see plenty of back-to-backs. And I know this will be a double back-to-back. And But you also watch a playoff series where they play, they can play the same team for two full weeks with one day off in between. So uh, to me, these are some of the sacrifices you have to make to some of the ideal scenario or most exciting brand or most fun scheduling. These are the sacrifices you have to make right now. If you want to get through a full season. And when you
2: play also, a team four times in a row, it does tend to ratchet up the intensity between those two teams when they see each other absolutely. more and that can make for more entertaining hockey.
1: Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. I mean, you, you, you do add a completely different component where if you're playing a team four times in a week, even the the lesser team is probably you would figure going to start to close the gap on the better team by the third and fourth games, just because they've seen them so much. And maybe coaching comes more into play. I mean, again, this is not what we want big picture, but I almost feel like you have to embrace the fact that this season, uh, like last season, but in a different way is going to be unique. And so if Tampa Bay plays Detroit four games in a row, Detroit's not going to figure anything out, but if, you know, You have two – you have a good team playing a half-decent. Boston plays Buffalo four times in a row. Maybe Buffalo figures something out by the third or fourth game. And it's just a different dynamic. I mean, I I cannot – again, I keep going back to the example, but Calgary and and Edmonton playing four times in a row. If that had happened last year, things would have gotten really ugly, and I'm I'm here for that. (laughs) Um, Okay, before we lose Jamie, I should mention, too, I guess I should maybe actually, like, uh, open the show the right way. We're going to talk to Greg Powers and get some insight on ASU hockey here later on in the show, too. But uh, Alex we, Hicks too. yes, Alex yeah. Six who I've never talked to, but Craig says is hilarious. Now, actually, now that you mentioned that, I've heard that from a couple other people too. Yeah, well, uh, it, it'll be good to talk to those guys on whatever day it is of this endless road trip that <laughs> the Arizona
2: State hockey team is on. Um, getting back to the just to what what's coming for the NHL season, two more issues that I was I was wondering what you guys thought. Uh, expanded rosters, first of all, uh, most people agree that they're going to need extra players in a condensed schedule. What form that takes is is still highly in doubt. I, I, I definitely think you're going to need a third goaltender, whether that guy plays or whether he's more of like a practice goalie, like a Calvin Pickard was for the Coyotes. I, I think you're going to need to give your number one guy some practice reps off. So I think that's important. And then you're probably going to need some fresh bodies. But how do you make sure that, you know, those guys aren't sitting too long, especially if they're like Tucson Prospects, and they're they're just not developing. They're not playing. You got to avoid that. Rick Tockett suggested something like a rotation of guys coming in for three to five weeks, then they go back down to Tucson, and you get a new group of guys. But I don't know what thoughts you guys have.
0: Yeah, I think you, this is one of those scenarios where you just have to get a little bit creative and maybe throw away some of the more traditional rules that you have. Uh, you know, you're not looking at a scenario where um, you're going to just have. Uh, the normal like up and down based on contracts i think maybe if you have guys that are specifically on ahl deals that you have the ability to call them up whenever you want uh versus having to do this i i guess it can get complicated when you have guys that are going to be sent down on with nhl deals and all this other stuff but to me i just think you have to maybe it's you get x number of recalls and send downs before a player actually would hit waivers even if they're already – even if they're no, no longer waiver exempt because we know you're going to have to move guys around. Man, I might me, I might make free movement this year
2: with the yeah. – I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, no, no. But it, it's something of that nature where you say, okay, you, or you can designate – you know three players that you can call up extra from your on your roster from the 23 each game one goaltender one forward one defenseman and you can just alternate that based on a game to game basis so you don't have to commit to somebody for a full week or a 10 day period or you can send guys down and have to worry about having to wait i think anything like that would make sense
1: yeah, I think the the big thing is that every team is dealing with it. And uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating in that sense because we're going to see certain teams navigate it better than others. And that's, again, that's not going to make Tampa Bay worse than Montreal. But there is going to be a team that's, like, decent that figures out how to navigate the season and it propels them towards the top. And we're going to see a team that, that just can't figure it out and they drop further than they should have. And I also think two or three years down the line with the development of some of these younger players, we're probably going to look back with one or two teams and say they either – figured out how to navigate that COVID era or they didn't. And now they, you know, a couple prospects maybe didn't become what they were supposed to, or, you know, they got development in and it really didn't cost them because everything's so weird right now. Anyway, I think certain teams are actually
2: set up better to navigate this than others. Like the coyotes having Tucson so close, it's going to make it easy to rotate those players in. Some teams have their AHL teams across the border. And that's going to be a real issue to watch as we go forward. I, I don't know how they navigate that. I mean, clearly you're not allowing the Canadian teams to come to the U S. So how do you manage that? That's, that's going to be really interesting to watch.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Here, let's...
2: And
0: for t- one last point, Luke, sorry to cut you off there. Uh, no, especially yeah. for a team like the coyotes, the advantage of having even like Aiden Hill as your third goaltender. I mean, you were talking about, there are a lot of teams that don't have a one and certainly don't have a two. And most teams don't have somebody they feel confident in if they have to play a third goaltender for 10 or 15 games in a season. If, the schedule dictates it that, that again has been the tremendous advantage for the coyotes the last couple of years is goaltending. That could be again, if we start to see more third goaltenders in either because of scheduling or if injuries start becoming a factor because of scheduling or if there are illnesses, I mean, I know the NHL went uh, at a pretty clean slate for the most part last time, but if you're looking at what's happening in the NFL, you've looked to see what's happened in the NBA. You're, if we're going to get out of these bubbles, it's inevitable that players are going to test
2: positive and you're going to have to be able to, to move guys in and out. Thanks for teasing my story on Sunday, by the way. I'm going to be writing about that goaltending situation, actually. So there you go. Yeah,
1: the goaltending thing with the Coyotes, and Jamie just said it, I mean, it's such an advantage that they have over a good chunk of teams in this league. I don't know what the exact number is, but probably about 25 teams in this league. And, you know, it's a bigger advantage over some teams than it is over others. But that's why, A, I think predictions for this season are almost ludicrous, unless you're talking about the truly great or truly bad teams. But then B, I, I just laugh when people are like, well, you know, the Coyotes lost some draft picks, so they're going to be bad this year. I mean, it's this, essentially the same team that we saw the first half of last season, and they have goaltending. So I'm not saying the Coyotes are going to be amazing this year, but for this particular year, they're still set up the way they were basically going into last season. Um, let's let's jump to the uh, the top five that we were going to do, because I want to make sure we get this in before Jamie has another couch delivered. So the way we're going to do this – Wait what, two months, Luke. <laughs> Ordered this two months ago. That's uh, that's good service. Have they just been locked outside the whole time? Well, you should I, buzz I guess them up. Yeah. <sighs> that's what you have to that do if sense. somebody's delivering something. You have to let them know. make that, that, you, Luke. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, what we're going to do is the top five at each position. So center, left wing, right wing, defense, and goaltending. And the way I did this was for this season. I don't know if you guys did it a different way. If you did, that's fine. I mean, it'll, it'll lead some more conversation, but I essentially did um, almost like if you were just drafting each position for the season that hopefully starts here uh, like a month from today or tomorrow. Um, and, and I wonder, I mean, we can just get into it, but I, I wonder how much we're going to differ on some of these. Where do you guys want to start? We don't want to start at center. Do we?
2: No, that's too easy. Okay. Why don't we start right. on defense? Because I was struck by, uh, after looking at the defense I I'm, I'm of the belief that we are in a transition period in the NHL between the old guard and the new guard. And they're not, they're not a lot of defense where I say, Oh my God, this guy is hands head yeah. and shoulders above everybody else. Victor
1: Hedman is. Yeah. Yeah. And I and, would say but this before ahead. we start, this was a lot harder, not just defense, but just in general, this was a lot harder than I, I thought. You're right. Yeah. I think defense sort of highlights the fact that we're transitioning between two like waves of players but I noticed that in some of the other positions, too, and I'll, I'll point it out when we get there. But let's, um, let's just have – do you want to just each go around and read our top five? Sure. Let's start with Jamie. He's our guest. Do you want okay. me to go in order or just name the five? No, go just, in order. No, you, you actually
2: ordered them. Okay. I,
0: I, I thought about I, – I, di, I didn't, but I can. So you, you guys tell me which one. So, it's, so here's the top five. Let's just do top five in whatever order. Maybe we can decide on a consensus as a show. Okay. Uh, well, I get orders. order, so I'll throw that in. So Victor Hedman, I've got Roman Yossi. John Carlson. Uh, I throw Dougie Hamilton in there uh, based on the way he played late last season. And then Alex Petrangelo, those were the five I chose, but I think there's a clear drop off after those I think there's a clear drop off after the top two. And then like another tier after three, like Carlson might be in a tier of himself there for me in that, that second spot. Okay. Luke,
1: do you have anyone different? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I had Hedman one. And then after that, I actually went Seth Jones, Carlson, I about Yossi, Hamilton but then I have in in parentheses uh, Kale McCarr Miro Heischkinen and Alex Petrangelo I think that those I think to me those are the eight and I think Hedman has to be number one
2: yeah I had Hedman number one and I have Roman Yossi there Um, Seth Jones I had on my list as well Um, I've never been a big John Carlson fan Uh, I'm troubled by other elements of his game I do think he's he adds a lot to the offense I don't think he adds much at the other end um I have Alex Petrangelo on there, and I, I am torn here. I, I still think Chris Letang is a terrific defenseman, but Miro Heischkinen, the way he played mm-hmm. in the postseason, was amazing to watch. He's
1: a really gifted player. I, I feel very confident in saying if we do this a year from now, Heischkinen is on all of our top fives. Like he oh, yeah. just, it, It's not just what he does, but it seems so – he's just like natural and calm about it when he does it. Like We got to the That's point – we got halfway through the playoffs. I was like, "Oh, Heiskanen's going back for the puck, or he's defending whoever." It's Dallas is fine on this play. You know what I mean? Like if they don't have him, they're probably out in the first round of the playoffs last year. Instead, they go on that crazy run. Um, okay, so I mean, for the most part, there, there's a consensus. Head been number one, and then we have the same group of like five or six guys behind him. Nobody had Quinn Hughes. Is <laughs> he one of the twenty best NHL players according to some people? We're not recording this in Vancouver.
0: Look, look, Quinn Hughes is is a good player, but this—he's going to be one of those guys that is. People are going to turn against him because of this hype that comes out of uh, British Columbia. Like people are going to turn against him. Like he's going to be a guy that at some point is going to be underrated by
2: everybody else because they're just sick of hearing about him. I don't. It's not like I'm turning against him. I just don't think the guy can defend.
0: No, no, no. I agree. No, no. no. I agree because here's the problem: when you have a good player that is being traded as a great player, people will start to get upset. And that's what's happening
1: here. He's a good player. He's not a great player. Do you think people, when you say people are going to turn on him, are you talking about around the rest of the league? Or do you think Canucks yes. fans have built no, him no, up no, to body Orr Canuck in their minds? Well, no, but non- I mean, I think if, if well, the yes. yeah, I mean, they built him well. up to this, if he's not a hall of famer by the end of this season, they're going to get frustrated with him. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, let's go. Let's yeah. go down the, the wings here. Let's go. Uh, let's go right wing first. And uh, Craig, I guess you start this time.
2: All right, I'll go, uh, I'll go with Pasta, Nikita Kucherov, Patrick Kane, Mark Stone, and Mitch Marner.
1: Okay. Um, Four of those five. Yeah, I do too. I listed six, but I mean, I, I put some honorable mentions. Because you don't follow the rules. Okay. Well, no, but, but Mark Stone was my, I mean, I did this for every position. I had some honorable mentions. My top five, which I did in order, was Kucherov, one, Pasternak, two, Miko Rotten and third, Patrick Kane, Mitch Marner.
2: Well, I'm an um, idiot. I like Miko Rantanen off. So,
0: yeah, that's the one that's my. So, I, I went uh, Kucherov one, Pasternak two, Patrick Kane three, Miko Rantanen four, and Mark Stone five.
1: Okay. So, we have the same six for sure. It's just a matter yeah. of Marner or Stone and where you. And put Marner would have been six for me. Uh, he was
0: the one I was like, oh, uh, I guess I got to leave out. So, sorry,
2: Durano.
1: No, I we we'll hear about it. an oversight by me. Uh, Miko Rantanen would replace uh, Mitch Marner. Okay. Um, the thing with pasta. He's got 90 goals over the last two seasons, yeah. and he's he's played 136 games. I know that, like, I I bring this up every couple months on the show that I feel like not that he's underrated, but I mean, kind of is though. Even, like, yeah, for,
0: for a player with that scoring profile in Boston of all places, that yeah. is not he's not talked about like a superstar outside of that area. Like, the hardcore fans know and hardcore shows, but I think in terms of just the general casual NHL population, he's not talked about like that
1: really not even brought up that much in the uh, Hart Trophy conversation this year either, which it it felt like, I mean, he had 48 goals this season uh, and those amazing Dunkin' Donuts commercials where he shows off his acting. But the Patrick Kane thing was, was another one of those spots I was talking about where it's like, okay, you've got Rontanen, you've got Marner, you know, even, even Pasternak, these are all fairly new players. And then you've got Kane that's been around for a while, but he's still right there. And it's just, it's not a question if he should be top five, but it's, does he go ahead of Rontanen or, you know, whoever.
0: Speaking of, have you guys seen the small contingent of hockey Twitter that is saying that Patrick Kane is actually bad? No, no. So I stumbled across St. that a few weeks back. What? No, no, there's no, They're like some hockey analysts that are, I don't know what metrics they were using, but they are basically saying that Patrick Kane is not a good hockey player.
1: Look, I, I am not the wor- – Jamie can attest. Craig probably can't too. I'm not the world's biggest Patrick Kane fan.
0: But I think definitely- I'm a person. That's a different, that's a different, those are different qualifications. Uh, yeah. But as a hockey player, look, there, there's a point where you start splitting too many hairs and you lose the big picture. And I think we're starting to get to that point for the people that uh, – I want to be careful how I say this. For people that are stat-inclined but aren't trained. And that includes us on, on some level. But, like, there's this – all right, so I'm going to go off on a small rant here in sports nice. now. And look, I appreciate and look, we we talk about analytics, we've talked about it for a while. I've written about it before, particularly in hockey. But we are at some point getting to the point where we are overlooking actual production in favor of process only. And yes, process matters and I understand process especially for future projections, but we are literally at the point where we're eschewing actual tangible production and success for hypothetical. And we, the, the pendulum has swung too far for the people that are commenting on it for the most part on social media. I imagine the teams with actual analytics departments and people that have statistics degrees are not doing that. Uh, but from what we're seeing on a national level, it's starting to get, in all sports, not just hockey, starting to get a little bit too far the other way. Where it's like, yeah, I don't care this guy scored 40 goals, he actually sucks, is just like a narrative to
1: me. There, I, the only problem with that rant is I wish it had been on Miko Rottenman, so we could have called it Jamie's rant on Rottenman. But uh, ranting on Rottenman, I I completely agree with you. It just and I don't know if it's social media or just the era that we live in, but there's always somebody that wants to take the contrarian viewpoint. And now there are so many stats out there that you can you can use stats to try to look smart. To take a contrarian viewpoint. And again, I say this as somebody that has spent a lot of time, or for whatever reason, I have friends that think Patrick Kane is better than Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. So I've heard enough about Patrick Kane. He's definitely one of the, what, three or four best players, five best players of the last 15 years. That's not debatable.
0: Yeah, Spotify Hall of Famer. Like, there, there's, this is, again, this is where he starts to overthink it. And this is where you lose the casual fan. Instead of getting more people into understanding the thought process, you say things that just lose them completely. This is the – if you are a football fan, you, you'll, you'll realize this because there was this huge Twitter debate about this a couple weeks ago. This is the Aaron Donald actually can't play – can't stop the run stuff that happened of just like th- – that is what's happening here. Of just like we can't find reasons to poke holes in people's games, so we have to come up with new statistics to find out reasons why this player that's actually good isn't. So it's just frustrating. And I like analytics. I use it a lot. I just – this is just where it's – production matters ultimately all of the analytics all of the the metrics are to ultimately point you to finding out who can actually be productive for you so don't be mad that somebody's actually productive for you
1: it's a it's a version, version. It's 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 a subset of the uh, the the same mentality that we we see it in every sport. I can only think of really LeBron and maybe maybe Crosby as examples too over the last few years. Where it's like, well, yeah, they're always there. So for them to win the MVP in the NBA or the Hart Trophy for Crosby, or I'm, we'll probably get here with McDavid at some point too, they have to be steps above everybody else because if it's a tie, the voters are going to lean towards taking the new guy because they're just sick of hearing the same guy. That's what it seems like when you're talking about Patrick Kane has been on the top of his game now for know, oh, what we're like coming up on 15 years and Aaron Donald has been pretty widely regarded the best defensive player in the NFL for a few years. People want to find a reason to tear these guys down. Um, and again, I just want to stress, I'm not a Patrick Kane fan at all. Let's go. Uh, let's go left wing. I had a hard time with left wing. Go ahead. Right. Um, okay. You start well, this time. Great. Need me too. How, no, I'll, st- I'll start here. How did I time this out where I'm starting on the one I had the hardest time with? If we're just going for this season, I actually have Panarin one, and then I have Ovechkin, uh, Marshawn, Jake Gensel. Five was tough. I ended up going with Matthew Kachuk, but I could be talked I'm down at that.
0: So we have a few different ones here. I thought about Gensel and Kachuk, but I'm actually going with I have Panarin one, Ovechkin okay. two, Marchand three.
1: Uh, so we're the same there. Yeah, uh,
0: I think Kevin Jonathan Huberdeau sh- should be four. You're the same two. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah Huber- you. Yeah, yep, technically He's technically officially listed as a left wing. I double checked no, on that. I had him as my honorable um, mention. I had Huberto, so I would take that. fifth? And fifth, this one's going to be a little bit controversial because he had a down season last year. I would still take my chances on Johnny Gaudreau. And the, the, the numbers he was putting up and the success he was having, I put him slightly ahead of Kachuk for me. Uh, I think he can bounce back. So I, I had a hard time with that fifth spot, but I'm going to lean towards Johnny Hockey just ever so slightly there because I'm, I'm looking for a big bounce back year for him.
1: I had Kyle Connor. That, that was the other That's name, a good one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah Luke's was, favorite player. He's he absolutely is the most underrated player in the he NHL. Had a monster I, season last year. I yeah. don't know. If, I have a theory now that his he has two first names, and they are the two most common first names in hockey with Kyle and <laughs> Connor. So people think of him more as like a state of mind than an actual player. He is a beast every single year. Yeah. He was the one goals last year, 38 goals yeah. last year. Yeah. You know, even Winnipeg fans don't talk about him, but I know yeah. my, my three guys. Uh, the one other one was Gabriel Landeskog, but he would have been eight, but Connor and Hubert, I was debating with, with Kachuk and I probably, you could go either way. Um, okay. Let's do center and let's let uh, Mr. Eisner start here.
0: Uh, I'm going to really controversial. I want to go Connor McDavid. Can you do it in your voice? Nate McKinnon is next okay. at two. Uh, I put uh, Sidney Crosby at three, Leon Dreisidel four,
1: and Austin Matthews at five. Same five for me. Yeah, I have the same five. Does everybody have McDavid one? Yeah. I think McDavid, you? McKin- Do McDavid you have McKinnon McDavid number one. one two. I have McKinnon yeah. and McDavid tied.
0: McKinnon? Make a stand. No, he says I'm tied. No, no, no. Take a stand, Luke. For once in your life.
1: I put McKinnon tops. Yeah. I mean, I I can't show you guys the the notes I have, but I do technically have McKinnon listed first. So if I have to take a stand. I do uh, too. I mean, saying that, knowing full well that even a 56-game season, McDavid might go out there and put up 130 points this season. (laughs) But, man, McKinnon – I think it's partially just because McKinnon is further along in his career, so you see him impact. I'm not going to sit here and find any flaws in Conor McDavid's games because there aren't any, but I think these are the two best players in the world right now.
2: Yes, bar none. No question. Uh I love the way uh, Nathan McKinnon's game translates to the playoffs. He is a bull, and he can get to the net whenever he wants to, and that is a really good quality to have in the postseason.
1: He reminds me a lot, especially this past year when they, when they ended up losing to Dallas, he reminds me a lot of Sidney Crosby like the two years before they finally got over and won that first cup. While well, you guys just both drank drinks in unison. That was a, uh, where's Sidney um, Crosby from Luke? Uh, he I can't do your voice. He's also He's from, from Cole Harbor.
4: Harbor. He's from Cole Harbor. Um,
1: you can tell those two train together because they play a very similar game. And whereas McDavid is, 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 is a little bit different, but uh but as far as most exciting player to watch, it's McDavid. And I completely grant you that if you have McDavid won, I don't disagree with you. I just I think it's been remarkable what McKinnon has done.
0: It's also funny to think about that where, what, where four years removed from people wondering if McKinnon was going to be, uh, was overrated.
1: Huh. And five yeah. years from them talking about him as a bust. Yeah, because he did. He actually did have a sophomore slump, but even... It was a sophomore wow. slump by his standards. It wasn't a bad year.
0: Is there another phrase that could be used to describe when he started off hot and then struggled, but like didn't didn't have a like let's say a linear path to success? I don't know. Can't think of one. But if you guys do, let us know. Okay. Um,
1: I have to ask too. The Eisner that's written on your like. Thank your you. Up, I've been wa- you know, I've been yes. wondering about this. Thank you. Go. Are the arrows on the end? Is that for nonlinear linear progression? Because when I was gonna make the it can shirt, be. It was going to have arrows on the end. It's so New Jersey devilish, actually. It,
0: it is very New Jersey devilish. Uh, well, because I'm doing mostly uh, fantasy football and football gambling now. So you have got the, the – so for those of you who can't see it or those who have not watched any of the videos I'm doing for the Draft Network, uh, the S is a dollar sign in my I name, and then the, the N yes, has I'm you uh, the – well, I'm, I'm describing <laughs> it for the listeners. This is not a video podcast, Greg. Uh, and then there's arrows on the up and down parts of the N. So money, money. <laughs>
1: Jamie is turning into Johnny Manziel before our very eyes. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, before <laughs> before we lose Jamie here, let's go. The meanest thing uh, you've said goalies. to me all day. <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's go, goalies, and I'll let I'll let former goalie Craig Morgan stop Oh this. boy, this is a tough one too. Yeah, it is. They were all Connor tough. I mean, we probably could have gone ten deep. What's that? Well, i, I was, They were all tough. I really do think we're in sort of a transition period in this league. We could have gone ten deep on all of these, and it would have been interesting.
2: Connor Hellebuck. Is on this list, obviously. Uh, Tukarask, Darcy Kemper, who is still not getting as much love as he should be getting, in my opinion. Amen. Andre Vasilevsky, I have on this list. And then, boy, I. Five was hard, right? I think, think the four is clear. Five. Yeah. I had a lot of candidates for five. And I'm choosing the guy that I choose because I think he is otherworldly with any kind of help in front of him whatsoever, which he did not get last season in John Gibson.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Oh, um, well, we, we didn't even mention you some next, of those, Luke. those honorable mention centers, Jack Eichel, Mark Shifley, John Tavares, and even if Evgeny Malkin if it's not the playoffs. Um, for goalies, yeah, I went Vasilevsky one. I went Tuka Rask two, even though everybody in Boston hated him for like three weeks last year. Uh, I have Darcy Kemper third. I have Connor Hellebuck fourth, but I'm with you guys. The fifth one was so tough. I guess I have Carey Price there, but I was real close to going with Ben Bishop.
0: Yeah, I end up going with Bishop, but this is where this got tough because you've got guys that have had success over the last couple years, but your last memory of them is getting absolutely boat raced, whether it's Jordan Bingington, whether it's Ben Bishop. It's like there's part of you that goes, you've got a much bigger sample size that tells you that they've been great, but the last time you saw them for a handful of games, it was horrible. Uh, But I I end up going with Bishop at five. Uh, I thought about Kerry Price. Gibson's a good call. Uh, we haven't seen John Gibson with any semblance of a hockey team in front of him for a minute now. So we've kind of forgotten uh, how good he can be. And, and the wear and tear when you do have to be Superman every single night that, that carries on you and affects your play. But to me, I thought that like, we all had the same top four. I think that's the clear top four. I and mean, whatever order you want to put that in. Uh, I, but I think there is a drop off after that because there just becomes a lot more question marks.
1: Yeah, and it is it is different with, with goalies, too, because when we're making these other lists, I'm thinking like, okay, who do I like for this season? With goalies, I can't help but think, who would I want in a Game 7 if it came down to it, which is why I still have Carey Price on the list. But, I mean, to your point on Bennington, I almost feel like the league sort of exposed him and figured him out towards the end of last season. I don't think that was necessarily yeah. a fluke. And it's not that I don't think he can bounce back this season, but I think he actually has to, like, readjust back because they were all shooting in the same spot on him by the end, and it was going in half the time, it felt like.
2: If you look at the the deeper analytics on Bennington, though, you'll see that he outperformed the team play in front of him. So it's, yeah. it's interesting to analyze it from that perspective. I think St. Louis got a lot looser
1: defensively last season too.
2: Just, do we want to hit it. some Coyotes news here before uh, Jamie leaves? Yeah, I got, yeah,
1: let's, I got let's do that. Okay, um, I lost all the notes. Craig, why don't you start us off here? <laughs> this feels like it's the first podcast we ever did, and I apologize. Uh, I mean, I'm we sorry. were
2: we were already talking about the we've already talked about the top gold tenders and how, how the Coyotes, it, I've got a story coming on this tomorrow, We're looking at how basically how their, their goaltending stacks up against this remade division, whoever is going to be in it. And I think it's very favorable, first of all, and, and, and Jamie's the one who mentioned Aiden Hill as the number three. And I think that's probably what pushes the Coyotes over the top for me over any team in this division, including Vegas, because you've got that third option and you, you are probably more than any other season going to need to play your number three guy at some point this season.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, Maybe we're, significantly, we're, especially in the Kyrie's case. Like, let's be realistic about the injury history of Andy Ranta, which is constant. And Darcy Camber has suffered a major injury last year. So, uh, and again, you never know. Like, this is going to, I think, and I, I'm I'm hopeful. I want to say this. I'm hopeful when I say this, but we got a little bit spoiled with how well everything went in the bubble that I think just assuming that that's going to translate to the same level of success outside of these bubbles, I, I think it's crazy. You're going to have – maybe it's not going to be quite as bad as what the NFL has been dealing with, but you're going to have players that test positive. You're going to have these scenarios. Whenever these players are going home and interacting with their family and their friends or going out to eat or going to Atlanta strip clubs to get chicken wings, whatever it might be, it's just – it's going to happen. So you're going to have to have – that goes back to the expanded rosters conversation. It goes back to having depth and having not just depth, but NHL-caliber depth, particularly in your bottom six to move guys around in and out – because players are going are to be coming in and out of these lineups, and I don't know whatever the regulations are going to be of uh, what the NHL is going to use, if they're going to use a seven-day window or a 10-day window or what, they're gonna, what the parameters are going to be specifically. But players are going to test positive. We have seen this in every single sport that is outside of a bubble. It's going to happen on a, on a fairly significant enough basis where it's going to affect teams probably every single week. Some team in the league is going to be affected by it.
1: Well, and we haven't seen the schedule yet, but like for the NBA, they put out their first half. They not only have a lot of back-to-backs, they have a lot of three games and four nights. And I don't know if they can do that uh, necessarily consistently with hockey, but I mean, you guys are right. You know, goalie is the one position where you can't really hide it. Like, you know, if we're going to go, if you don't have depth at left wing, you can kind of tinker with things and you can double shift guys and you can, you know, make sure that your weak left wings aren't out there in key moments or whatever against the other, you can, you can move things If you don't have goalie depth and you lose one this season, you're going to be exposed instantly. You can't hide that. And so I don't, I haven't looked at the three deep for every NHL team, but I have to think considering your top two are Kemper and Ranta, and Aiden Hill has played a, a good chunk now for a number three goalie. And he's been decent in a lot of these games. Um, I have to think the Coyotes are going to be one of the two or three best teams in that regard.
2: Yeah. A couple other quick Coyotes notes. Um, the most of the world junior championship rosters have been announced. Now I think Sweden has one more cut to make. It looks like three Coyotes are going to make it. Aku with Finland, John Farinacci with the U S and Victor Soderstrom is on that Swedish roster with one cut to make. I think he's going to make it um, notable exception on Finland's roster. Aturati, the presumed number one overall pick did not make the roster and that's not because of because uh, he, he's out for some reason. He simply didn't make the roster because he hasn't played well. I know he was down with COVID for a while, but that's a real shocker to me.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's also going to be a real shocker to see the World Juniors starting here. And like I think it starts on Christmas, Christmas Day, Christmas. doesn't it? Christmas yeah. Day. So that's going to be a, like sort of our appetizer of hockey going into the NHL season. But you're right. I mean, when's the last time we had the presumptive number one overall pick? Not in the World Juniors because he just didn't make his team. <laughs> like that's that's uh, it's it's a weird year, but that's still the extreme. Uh, anything else here? We probably should wrap up because we have Greg Powers getting ready to and Alex Hicks about to come on here in a second. Anything else we want to throw out there with the Coyotes?
2: Yeah, I just I mean it, it's to me it's a shame. With the training camp rosters are probably going to have to be reduced significantly this year because you're talking about a 10 day camp. You just can't afford to bring in fringe guys just to get the experience of being around the team because you got to get ready for a season immediately. So it's a shame some of those guys are going to lose out. I think we'll only see the top prospects in camp this year. Then the last thing I uh, wanted to talk about with you guys is I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. In terms of expectations for this team, it, it, look, if, if the uh, division looks like the original one that Pierre tweeted It still looks like the Coyotes are the fifth team in this division, but there are a number of interesting factors when considering if the Coyotes can take another step forward. You've got a ton of players in contract years, a number of whom have admitted to me that, yes, it's extra motivation. You've got the goaltending situation we just talked about. You've got a coaching staff entering the final year of its contract. And then you've got a core of fourth-year guys who, you know, we've talked a lot about young guys needing to step up and could this be the year well, now they're, the, they're under the evaluation of a new general manager who's deciding whether these guys are going to be a part of the core moving forward after this season. There's a lot of things. There's, there's a lot of guys that have maybe a little extra motivation this year for the Coyotes.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we're starting to look at some of these players that you've, you've locked up long-term, and all of a sudden you're starting to switch into their mid-20s now. And there's going to be the expectation, especially in the NHL nowadays, it's – isn't now where everybody's waiting till you're 27 28 they expect you by the time you get 25 that if you're going to be an impact player that you're starting to show that you're an impact player you know schmaltz and dvorak are both 24 obviously clayton keller 22 but those are three guys that you've committed a lot of dollars to can they have the level of success that lives up anywhere close to what their contracts can be you know what do you get from phil kessel this year what do you i mean so there's I look at this team, uh, you know, do you get another repeat season from Connor Garland, who's talked about wanting to be a little bit more of a playmaker uh, at times in this off season. So they're, they're an interesting team to evaluate because I think their range of outcomes is so great. And I think part of that is because you could see a scenario here where the light comes on for a couple of these young guys and with the goaltending they already have with a lot of the veterans that they have on the blue line. If the light comes on for two or three of those forwards at the same time, this is a team that can compete in the middle of that, in the middle part of a playoff picture with anybody. If it doesn't, if their players start, to, if if Nick Schmaltz deals with injury again, if Clayton Keller looks unfortunately like the players he's looked like for every year but the first month of his, you know, outside of October for almost every year of his career, then all of a sudden you're going to be sitting there and I think you're the fifth best team in the division. I think they have a high floor because of their goaltending and their blue line, but I also think that their ceiling is so varied because we don't know what some of these early to mid-20-year-old guys can do. You know, Do you see another step forward for Christian Fisher? Do you see Barrett Hayton take a step forward this year? Or is he still a couple of years away from being an impact top nine forward for you? I, those are just so many questions that with an abbreviated offseason, an abbreviated season, a weird ending to last year – I'm really curious about – and to the UFA guys, I mean, you've got what – was it Stepan, um, Jarmerson, Goligoski? I mean, you've got like almost your entire well, – almost the entire Hunter. blue line are pending UFA's. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ranta as well. I mean –
1: Don't forget him.
0: But, but, this beca- but this is where this is – But this is also where with all of those guys, you need to start having success earlier in the season. You can't go on a late run. You can't get hot late because if you're sitting – Eight points out of a playoff picture come to trade deadline time. Given where the state of this team is, and given the just the pillaged amount of draft capital that they have because of all the other stuff that's gone on with them, if you're not in a playoff spot or very close, how do you not consider moving? these pending UFAs to to replenish some of that draft capital right now, unless you're like, we're definitely making the playoffs. So it's going to be key for them to get off to a good start, obviously, but also maintain that through the middle portions of the season, knowing that we kind of have two, we have two lines that we're looking at. It's not just the end of this regular season line. There's the trade deadline line of, if we're not in a playoff position at that point, there's a good chance, a good chunk of our roster is not going to be there for those final handful of games. And we're just going to have to take another year, uh, back in the rebuild so i don't know uh I, but to me it's gonna be all about those young guys it's the young guys yeah. that you pay paid those long-term deals can they take that step forward this year and live up to somewhat of that of that dollar capital if they can and if a couple of them can there's no reason to believe this team can't compete for a, a good playoff uh, not only a playoff spot but not the last last team
1: in either all right. We are pleased to be joined now uh, by ASU hockey head coach, Greg power assistant coach, Alex Hicks. I mean, this is, this is a big deal for me, certainly. Cause I went to ASU. I obviously love hockey. You guys have put together just an impressive program here in a very short amount of time. Um, before we get into the meat of the interview, I guess, do you ever get to play another home game or is this just a permanent road trip that goes on forever?
3: Not this year. We won't. Um, that was the deal. We we got into this. We knew it was going to be 28 games on the road and um it, obviously, the, everything associated with athletics is so fluid right now. So when we agreed to it, did we think that we'd be out for 36 days in our first 12 games? No, but it was the smartest and safest way to go about making sure that we played all 12. Um, so we did it. And and then uh, so we'll have one more tomorrow against Penn State, go to Ohio State, and then back for a couple weeks. And then who knows? You might be looking at a, at a 45-day trip. Sixty-day trip. We, we don't know what it looks like next semester, so we'll uh, we'll figure that out when we get the schedule. So How are you guys holding up? What what day did you say this is? Twenty-nine day, twenty-nine. So we we get to go home in a week. We're gonna enjoy the rest of the trip and our time together. But I think everybody's itching to get back and, and be with the families and get back mostly to the to the nice weather in Arizona. Like that's a lot of our new guys haven't even been able to experience the Arizona winner yet, you know, so it'll be nice for them to go back. None of them are gonna go home for Christmas. So um they'll be there, we'll practice and, and do some what we're you know allowed to do within reason. But um but yeah, so day twenty nine. Before I dive back into the past a little bit, um
2: I, I wrote that story obviously detailing a lot of what the players are doing and a little bit of what you guys are doing how does the coaching staff spend its time when you, when you actually have some downtime on the road? What are you guys doing to keep from going insane?
3: Go ahead, Al.
4: Um, we we do a few different things. We've been playing a little cards, playing a little euchre, um, but the main thing I guess is, is pickleball. Uh, I started playing that with my wife about going on maybe three months ago, maybe, and told the guys about it. And Powers, of course, went in order to a, a racket right away. Once he, uh, he saw it, and you have been doing that, and we, we play doubles. We play a game we made up called Cutthroat, where the three of us can play. This, so it's like one against two. Um, I'm at that age now where I'm over 50, so I'm kind of like in that pickleball uh, uh, world where everybody my age plays it. <laughs> so um, it's been good. It, we've, we have a lot of fun doing it. So I have an app I downloaded uh, on my phone, so every new town we get into, I, I, I look and see where they have a nice outdoor court where we can play, where it's safe and, and in, in the fresh air. And we find one, we get the car, and away we go. So that's that's basically what what, what we do. And we, we pretty much eat all day, too, because there's meals nonstop. <laughs> I, I'll probably get two different
2: answers when I ask this question, but who's the best pickleball player?
4: Well, I, I think we'll both answer the same thing. So if you want to ask it.
3: Well, I mean, I think Al's, Al's definitely ranked the number one on the staff right now. I think I'm a close second. Um, and after that, there's really nobody even close. Um, <laughs> somehow somehow we, we we team up as a, as a doubles team. We play mainly doubles with the staff. When we play against the younger guys. Field is uh, 36. I just turned 44. And then you have Riley Simpson, who's 24. So Al and I beat up on those guys. I think we played eight games the other day. And uh, it was a clean sweep, eight to nothing. Um, They they just they're just inferior athletes to us. It's 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 uh, it's pretty much just that simple.
1: It is pickleball. I remember playing it like last time I got to play it. We were like twelve, and it is. It's a great game. Um, I guess one more thing on the road trip. I mean, when you go to the players and you're like, hey, this is how the season's gonna work. I I assume all the guys were on board because you guys are doing it. And it's, it's love of the hockey and all that stuff. But is, is that a weird conversation to have to say, Hey, guess what guys no home games all season?
3: You know, I think when, when the guys, there's so much uncertainty, right. With, with when we started practice and not knowing exactly what the season was going to look like. But when we told them to begin with that, we're going to play an all road schedule in the big 10 they were just excited. They were going to play. And and then a few weeks later, we, we thought it was going to be a 22 day road trip to start. And they were really excited. The the, the kids love the road. They're happy here. You know, I mean, none of them have families. Um, Vito has, is married, but his wife's back in Latvia. But uh, you know, really, this is a dream. This is like a, it's like a, it's like a fantasy camp for him. You know, I mean, they they're, they're in really nice hotels. They eat three really good meals a day. That they're gonna they're gonna eat better here than they will back home. They're well rested. We're able to spend time and do some good film with them, and uh, they're with their best friends. You know, they they have nothing to complain about. Nobody's itching to go back. I think that the staff's more of a mindset where we miss our our kids, we miss our families, and, and we're ready to go back and spend the holidays with them.
2: Speaking of uh, nice hotels, I want to paint a picture for our listeners here, since there are no visuals on a podcast. Apparently, Alex hits, gets a suite with a, a pool included
3: in it when you go to hotels, and you're basically in a closet with one window in it. I take good care of the guys, you know. He, he's he's uh, you know he's he's high maintenance, but he's 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 the oldest guy on staff, and I want to make sure that he's comfortable and and well taken care of. He's got a masseuse that comes up to his room a couple times a day you know, and, in uh, his King suite with his indoor pool and jacuzzi. And it's, it's how it should be.
2: Alex, that's a lot of shade. Do you want to respond?
4: I, he, he's speaking the truth. I appreciate it. He does take care of me. Um, I do carry him around the pickleball court on most days. So he, he likes to make sure I'm well taken care of and, and can recuperate as fast as possible.
3: He does. And that we can't go play today because his back hurts. So we had eight games and, and he threw his back out. And so we're, we're going to rest him up today. It's good thing he has that room and those masseuses because, because <laughs> we're going to find some courts in, in Columbus and, and hopefully he's healed up by then. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met at Oceanside, um, when, when we were just a club team and, and Hicksie was the, one of the directors with DYHA, the, the youth organization. And, um, back then you have to get creative. I mean, it's pretty much, I was a one man band. And so I, I, I met Hixie, we got along and, and, you know, uh, asked him to come out and help with practice a few times to, so my players could hear a different voice and loved how he communicated and taught. And, uh, and then, and then, um, the last year that we were a club team before division one was even a conversation, uh, he he and I met and decided that he was going to come on the, the club team staff. And then a couple months later, this happened and it was a no brainer to keep him.
2: Alex, do uh, so uh, you remember anything about those early days?
4: Uh, the early days? Um, yeah. He would always be walking through the rink um, and I'd be on the ice doing some kind of clinic or coaching a team or doing, giving some lessons and he, we always just kind of basically winked at each other like, Hey, how's it going? We really didn't know or know each other. And then, um, it was just it was a weird situation where it was a stranger, but I felt comfortable with him. And then, obviously, the more success he had with this program, the more I knew what he was doing. And then um, it, we just sort of just one day he just approached me. Matter of fact, uh, let's you know come out and help. And we we hit it off very well. And uh, I think we just we understand each other. We have, we both have a you know the same sense of humor, and um, we both you know like learning things from other people and 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 greg is the best thing i the best asset i think he has is he's just open-minded to learn what he doesn't know not saying that i know everything about hockey but he was very receptive to okay how can you help me with this and i think it worked because i wasn't overbearing of telling him you know how to reinvent the game and um it just became a great relationship and we got along well and the the NCAA thing happened and we were like, <laughs> kind of chuckling, like, let's do this. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to do it and come with me. And uh, it was as simple as that.
1: It's remarkable how much you guys have accomplished in such a short amount of time, you know, relative to to the other college hockey programs. Are there is there a moment or moments, is there like a game you guys look back on when you you, you beat a certain team or I, maybe not even that, but just is there like a moment or two you guys looked at and you're like, wait a minute, this is this is real, like we're doing this, and, and we're not just a fringe team that's in Division I hockey now. We're a
3: legitimate force. Go ahead, absolutely you, you go first.
4: All right, we we've had multiple multiple games like that. Um, we we talk about it and reminisce all the time about which game was, was the one or which game felt so good. And I've got a few that stick out and um, I'm a pretty competitive guy. And, and the, the first year, two years, we were getting the crap kicked out of us on a regular basis. And I, I remember those moments being on the bench and just being like, Oh, we're so far behind this team. And we're not even close to, to beating this team. And I just remember those teams were relentless in their pursuit to score more goals. And they just kept going and going and going Um, one that comes to memory is UMass Lowell. We were on the bench and they, they gave it to us two nights in a row. Like it was like, we were in a different league, didn't belong on the ice. And they kept coming and coming and coming. So I think two years ago, if I'm correct, maybe even three, we had them at home. We got to replay them when we beat them both games at home, played some great hockey. And I remember shaking their hands after and being like, you know, the coaching staff, like not even having to say anything, just look them in the eyes. Like here we are. Um, another one, which is, and I know Greg will agree with, was Quinnipiac. It was our third game of the year. We played three games and uh, three nights out east. Uh, after traveling from 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 Alaska, we had to fly all the way across the country and play Quinnipiac, and they're ranked second in the country. And they absolutely hammered us. Like I think it was five nothing, and it felt like fifty nothing. Like we couldn't even get to the red line to dump the puck in without icing it. It was that bad, and. So those moments, it, it, it makes me, um, I get kind of PTSD thinking about it, how, how far we had to come. Yeah. But when we beat them a year and a half later, I jumped over the boards and I couldn't wait to get to center ice and shake their hand like, here we are, like we just beat you. And I never thought this was going to be possible, you know, uh, 12 months ago, and here we are. And, and so those two really, really ring true for me.
3: Yeah, those are good ones. And the two the two the two for me in addition to those. Um uh the the one was the overtime win at Penn State, the the first year we made the the NCAA tournament. We had a hot start to the year. I think a lot of people still questioned if we if we had taken as big as a step as as we we thought we had and and w were kind of being rumored to had when you come in and you play a top five team, I think they're ranked fourth. We went into the third period, the first up a goal and, uh, and ended up losing um, late. And then the second night um, we beat them in overtime. Johnny scored a big goal and, and it was a charter trip and there's some donors on the trip. And I just remember going back to the plane and everybody was just so happy. And, and we, we really rode that win and that vibe the rest of the way and, and made the tournament. And then last year, um, I think above everything else, we continue to take steps as a program and hit new milestones. But um, we had a, an unbelievable team in um, the Tempe in Denver and, and we, we, we beat them. We beat them like handily at home. We, we were, we were hands down the better team. It wasn't a, a game of goal. We had to steal. It wasn't a game um, that, that, that required bounces or luck. We, we just flat out beat them, we beat them four to one. And then, the next night at Gila river, we tied them and and, and they scored on a, on a six on five with about 30 seconds left to, to gain the tie. That was the moment. I think we all realized, okay, you know, we we have to raise our expectations and, and, and this is the bar. Like we, we not saying we, we still have a ways to go. We still have building to do and and we can get better obviously, but um, there shouldn't be any team that we go and play where we don't expect to win.
1: Is you know when you when you look at recruiting with uh, for a program like this, I mean, I'm I'm sure you run into some guys that were like, no, it's my lifelong dream to play in you know Boston or Minnesota or whatever. But then on the flip side, it's like, hey, you can come live in Tempe, Arizona, where it's it's pretty good weather this time of year, and there's a lot of good reasons to be here. I mean, what is recruiting been like, and, and have you seen the response change over the, the the years that you've done this?
3: For sure, I mean, it, it's you know Alex and Mike do the line share of the, the, the evaluation and going out and, 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 you know, locating players to play for us. Um, but with me, you know, when I have those conversations with kids and we decide if we're going to bring them in um, the weather can be a reason they want to come play for ASU, but it can't be the reason, right. Um, they want to have to come and help us build this program and be a part of what we stand for, which is be the tradition. We want kids that want to come here set a standard, set a tradition, look back on their career in 20 years and and say that they helped build that at Arizona state. Um, and in fairness the kids, we're still kind of dealing with kids that didn't grow up dreaming of becoming a sun devil because we didn't exist. So they have to buy into that mantra and it's okay if some kids don't, they're just not the right kids for us. They all grew up wanting to play for a blue bloods like Wisconsin and Minnesota and North Dakota. and, and, Um, So we, once we have this arena built and local kids and kids in the, on the Western part of the United States continue to see us on TV and and we go to frozen fours and all that, that'll come. But right now we want, we want kids that aren't afraid to think outside of the box and be pioneers and be part of something really special that we're building. Um, And and I think that's why we've had success. It's probably the biggest reason why we've had success is because We've, for a couple of years now, have a room full of kids that generally, genuinely buy into that. They really do.
2: Speaking of the arena, guys, look, you've been waiting for this for a long time. I remember interviewing both of you for a story I wrote for The Athletic a couple of years ago in one of the locker rooms. Oceanside is fine as a community ice arena for youth hockey. How much did it mean to you to finally get that announcement and know this was really happening?
4: Go ahead um it, it was great um it was it was great news we we knew kind of behind the scenes that it was coming obviously uh we had never ever spoke publicly about it but we we could feel it was getting closer and closer and um so when it finally happened it was a little bit of a relief just knowing that they were going to get some shovels on the ground and get going after it um but then again, it, it raises the bar too, right? We, we've, we've loved being in Oceanside because it's a great little spot. It's cozy and, and it's hard for visiting teams to come. And, and um, we, we've taken that in and, and, and ran with that. And that's like our little baby there. So now we're going to have this, you know, hundred million dollar facility built and expectations are going to rise and more players are going to want to come. and, and, there's going to be less excuse of why we're not good. And we've never really used excuses of being an Oceanside. We've embraced it, but now it's, you know, we're going to be with the big boys in these, in this beautiful facility and, and being competitive, like we are both Greg and I are like, I can't wait for that added pressure and that added. All right, here we are. We've got this great rink. We've got this great facility, beautiful campus, great weather, great uniforms. And, we're gonna we're gonna just run with it and be even better, so I'm really excited for that. I know um speaking on for greg how how much he has to put in behind the scenes and, and dealing with people and 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 getting stuff like this you know moved on and um, i can't imagine how relieved he would be um or was when that happened so i'll let him speak on it now but uh, we're, we're really excited for it
3: yeah it's it's been it's been um, an insane amount of of work and, and fundraising and uh, for, for, I think it speaks volumes for us to get this done in the midst of what's going on in the world um, to how committed our administration and our university is to the sport. Um, I think a lot of people on the outside had questioned their commitment when they elevated the sport so quickly, they hired their club coach. Um, they didn't join a league, they're playing out of the worst rank in the facility there were a lot of questions raised from people that didn't understand what we had on the inside. And, and really the only question Mark left, you know, in the course of the last couple of years is, is, is the facility and kind of the radio silence um, that, that our administration was really forced to take for a few years while they were figuring this out, but they figured it out. Uh, we got it done. And, and Alex touched on it. it it's going to be a, a, a situation that we're going to embrace just like we did at Oceanside, um, where the bar is going to be raised. And and, and and we know that and we expect that out of ourselves. We believe we have a program um, under really normal circumstances right now that can make a run and, and really beat anybody. So it's only going to get better for us in that. I think the cohesiveness of, of building, a, a enhancing our culture, um, which we're already really proud of, it's very disjointed right now. You have to get creative when – you're off campus, and you don't really have offices. We we really don't have offices. We the coaches, five of us, crunch into a small little room. Um, I mean, a month you know, a month ago, right before we came here, there was a there's a might a mouse that that ran across the room. Like it's 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 not a great place to work, you know. And, and um, but we've made the most of it. And and so when we go over to that arena, it's where we're going to live. The the offices are going to be there. The film's going to be there. The workout room's going to be there. The, the, the treatments in our, our trainer's room is going to be there. It's all right there. It's first class. It's going to be incredible. Everything's going to get elevated. Um, and I think we can take everything that we've learned in building our culture in such a humble, you know, um, kind of beginning and environment and and keep that blue-collar mentality and make sure that we don't lose sight of what's made us successful just because we're in this beautiful new facility. Um, and I think that's the thing that that we're going to really hold ourselves accountable to when we do get into it. I want to ask you guys a
2: couple things about on the ice, but before I do, I want to go back to a, an incredible story that you guys told me about what you called the shopping spree in December of 2014 in British Columbia, the the first recruiting trip um, on which you made the mistake of letting Alex Hicks
3: drive the car. Can you take us back to that? Yeah, that was my life flashed before my eyes a few times. Hixie Hicksey, Hixie's um a multitasker. He likes to get a lot of things done at the same time. So we we were driving from merit. The trip was crazy. We we I mean we didn't really know what we were doing yet. We were just going out and collecting players and it was probably a mistake to do that, but um but we recovered. Um, we started the trip in Kelowna, beautiful, unbelievable lodge resort. We had this nice suite with adjoining rooms and fireplace and overlooking looking a lake. It was like, Whoa, this is incredible! This is how it's going to be. And then we, and then we left Kelowna and went to Merritt. And I don't know if you've ever been to Merritt, but if you haven't, don't go. <laughs> um, so we went to Merritt and it, we stayed in the only hotel, which was a super eight It was so gross and so dirty that we literally didn't even take our clothes off when we slept. I mean it was like it was like hoodie on head, everything like you know, and just hands in pockets, not touching the sheets, not touching the bed covers. So it went from the uh penthouse or outhouse, yeah, penthouse to the outhouse really quickly. And then then we we drove from Merritt down to Vancouver and it was a brutal snowstorm and it was a crazy crazy downhill just it was it was it was nuts like and and hicksy's texting and driving and and it was like essentially like driving down a mountain of snow with sleds under the wheels while he's texting and driving that's my version of it yeah (laughs) and your version alex
4: well everything leading up to the drive is is true. But then on the drive, I'm, I'm from Western Canada. I've driven in snow. I went to university in Wisconsin, Eau Claire. I've been been around snow my whole life and it it was, I wasn't even nervous about it. I was just driving, doing my thing, trying to, you know, text, text home or text recruits or whatever I was doing at the time, you know, fixing the, the, the radio and not even feeling any stress, and um Greg's not used to that he's lived in Arizona a long time Indianapolis gets snow maybe once every five years that means anything so he wasn't used to it it was just another day driving for me but with that being said he still lets me drive everywhere we go he's I've never I've actually never driven in a car with him before because I drive all the time
1: The genesis uh, of the friendship. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, you talk about the stuff that you guys have already accomplished to this point in the arena is obviously the next huge thing, but I mean, is it, do you look, you know, I, it, it's, it's a great point, Greg, when you say like, you got to have players in here that want to be a part of building something. You guys have basically built something, not from scratch, but essentially at the, at the D one level from scratch, what is the next step after the arena? Do you even look that far down the line? Like is joining a conference a priority or is that more complicated?
3: The huge priority. Um, yeah. And I would, I would venture to guess it's, it's safe to assume we could be in a league the year that that arena opens next year could, could be our last year as an independent. Um, if I have my way, it will be. Um, there's a lot of work and, and, and stuff that goes into joining the league, but we want to be in one. I think we're at the stage of a program as a program that, that we deserve to be in one. And it's kind of adds to that next evolution. Um, but uh, it, we also enjoy that independent schedule. We've proven that you can win advance and advance and make a tournament. We did it twice, two years in a row. And, and next year we'll be back independent. And, and, uh, and if it's our last year, we'll embrace the diversity and, and, uh, of, of playing different leagues. And, and hopefully we'll be in a league soon. But it is a huge. It's, it's the next and last really thing to kind of check off our, our list.
2: Does it make sense to try and i mean I don't know what you've learned from this experience in the Big Ten, or if it makes sense to be a little closer geographically
3: well, I mean, if you break it down you know i mean the two, two leagues that that I think on the outside people think that make the most sense are either the Big Ten or the n c h c from a geographical standpoint really outside of Denver and Colorado college um, it's all the same you know i mean i mean. Getting to Penn State's not easy. Getting to Duluth isn't easy. You know, getting to Kalamazoo's not easy, um, where really the only place in the Big Ten that's not easy to get to is Penn State. But that's made up for with an easy trip to Omaha, an easy trip to Denver, an easy trip to to Colorado Springs. So geography will will absolutely not be uh, a reason why we, we do or do not join a league. It won't be. Okay. Looking
2: at the on-ice product now, I know you guys had a tough loss uh, last night at Penn State. Um, just wanted to ask you specifically, with, with with how well you guys have played, by and large, at five-on-five, five, what are you seeing from the special teams, and what do you do to maybe shore that up? Because you can make the argument that if you get that you know, up a step, you guys could have a lot more success.
3: Yeah, no, we, we think if we had a, a – I mean, both sides of it, you know, our, our – penalty kills it at 76% and that's not good enough when you're, when when you're giving up 24% to the other team's power play, that's not going to get the job done. And certainly our power plays struggled. They're gripping their sticks pretty good. And, and it's, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just failed execution and, and they're trying to make everything perfect. Hixie does an unbelievable job running our power play. It's gone like this every year. Um, today, we really, really tried to simplify what our guys were doing. We, we changed some stuff up. You'll see some different personnel tomorrow to see if we can give it a little bit of mojo, but uh, we had a really, really good morning session with with both units um, where we're just going to focus on simplifying, getting pucks and bodies and net, getting some ugly ones. doesn't have to be pretty. Um, it can turn on a dime, but we know, we're, you know, we, we, we know that even just a decent percentage would probably – Probably at worst five three and one right now, and, and with a really good power play and a really good kill, um, I think we probably have six six wins. You know, and and I mean we, we're in the midst of playing really really good five on five hockey, five games in a row, and this close to a five game winning streak. You know, we're an eight minute two goal lead away and in a three on three overtime loss away from winning five straight on the road in the Big Ten under what many think are unthinkable conditions for, for kids to compete in. And um, so it, 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 we know we have work to do on it. Hixie did a great job this morning with those guys and um, it's just kind of recalibrating how they think and how they operate. And Hixie, you want to add anything to that?
4: Yeah. I think, you know, you always kind of go through ebbs and flows with special teams. You know, you, you go, it just so happens in college. Like if you go, you know, seven eight games and not the puck's not going in it's the third of your season you know especially this year um so it, it's been difficult and it, it wears on us but it, you know you got to be accountable like I, I i powers and i had a conversation today like i'm accountable for it like if they're not getting the job done it can come down to execution can come down to whatever but you know i need to do a better job of of putting them in a position to be successful um and I'm competitive and we're all competitive and we'll figure out a way to get it done. Um, and, and, and power, says all the time, it's not necessarily the goals and the percentage. It's just a matter of, of having that positive energy on the game, uh, creating in zone time, creating good shots and chances and, and uplifting the bench. And, and, and even if you don't score, it's like, wow, that was a great one. Um, but when it goes the opposite way and you're not scoring and you start to squeeze a little bit and you have a couple know not so good ones and it's a negative ne- negative energy and it's an uh energy suck out of the team so um you know are are we concerned about it absolutely do i think it's going to change and, and we're going to have success yes are we going to go score four power play goals tomorrow i would bet not um we're just going to you know baby step it and and um and the other thing too is and as a coach i have to realize as well like sometimes the more talent you get in the, m- the more skilled players you have um, the more you get away from what makes you successful. And I don't think we ever plan to get away from doing what we've done in the past, but we were forced to be just get it on net, bang and rebounds, keep it simple. But when you get a little bit more skill sprinkled in your lineup, you 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 tend to use that and maybe we used it too much. And I, I'll take the blame on that. You know, I'm, I'm a man and be like, hey, I've got some new toys to play with and maybe I'll try something different. And in reality, it's a simple game. Power play is a very simple thing to do. You get pucks on the net, bodies to the net, you bang in some rebounds, you get some ugly goals, and everything opens up after that. So we just have to get back to that. And um, I I know, you know, I I trust all those guys. We believe in all those guys. Um, We'll be fine. It's just a matter of now not thinking, okay, Looking at a percentage and looking at how bad we 've been now it 's about looking forward and, and about how good we can be from here on and, and if and I think the the guys will have that attitude, but again it's it's up to me and it's up to you know, to powers to be like put them in that position and have them forget about what 's happened and and move forward because yeah, what 's done is done and and we, we need to be better and we will be better going forward
3: yeah, he hit on it the biggest thing we need to do is just create it needs to create momentum for us and the message to our players a lot is is really good power plays fail 80% of the time. Great power plays fail 75% of the time. You know, so, so you're not going to, we don't expect you to go score every time you get one, but a good example is last night, you know, Penn state had that that power play with with about 10 minutes left. And then a portion of it was a five on three and they were all over us. They missed open nets. Um, it, it tilted the ice form. So those last 10 minutes where Evan really had to, to, you know, steal the game for us to, to, to potentially get a win um, where where ours isn't doing that for us yet, you know? And and so we just want it to create positive energy and momentum. And once it starts to do that, the goals will come. Luke, you got anything?
1: Uh, I do have a couple of listener questions that I want to throw at them before we let them go, but if you have anything else.
2: Yeah. Let's, let's hit that. Uh, Let's, we do have, if you guys don't mind, I know we kept you a long time. I really appreciate that, but we had a few listeners uh, ask questions of you guys. So Luke will rattle those off now.
1: Uh, Yeah. I'll I'll try to uh, Let's see. I'll I'll skim through anything we've already asked about. Uh, Adam says for coach powers. Absolutely. Love what you're doing with the program. What's the process for choosing the uniforms for, uh, for each game? The guy, the, was it the sunburst logo you guys had? I think that was last week. I mean, those, those were just ridiculous.
3: Yeah. I I literally have nothing to do with it. Our equipment guy chooses everything. Um, I give him carte blanche over all of it. Um, I like, I think I, I I really like all of them. My favorite, my favorite one is just the, the whites with the white helmets that we wear at home. It's clean. It's sleek. Um, we happen to be undefeated in them. Um, that's another reason I like them, but, uh, I like them all. John does an incredible job. He's really helped us create a great brand through Adidas and um, and and getting creative and being outside of the box. We're kind of like that organ of college hockey.
1: Uh, Cheryl has a, a, a couple. I'll just kind of go broad. For both of you guys, what has been the biggest challenge of building this up? And then also, I guess the second question there is, is it satisfying to see players that you've had get free agent offers from NHL teams and, and as the program begins to, uh, or continues, I should say, to evolve? You can take it, Hicksie.
4: Yeah, it, it's really satisfying to see the these these kids sign the NHL contracts, um, you know, with Maniscalco and Brinson, and obviously Joey DeCor before that. Um, and we know there's going to be more to come after that. But to see them come in as boys and then, and kind of shape them as best we can and then move on as men and 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 pursue their dreams is is probably the most satisfying part of this job um and and we look forward to watching more guys in the future do that um you know and, and then just embracing the challenges of this of the of this program and and building to where we are now we believe me we, we we've had a lot of good moments in the last few years but there was a lot of you know, trying moments. I think one year, I think we only won what four games, maybe five games. And you know, uh, Powers does a great job with you know looking forward and, and getting rid of the past and, and looking for something positive and and not brainwashing, but kind of brainwashing the guys into forgetting about what just happened and moving forward because it's easy to lose something, you know, and lose track of the guys when when you're having a few tough years like that. Uh, But he did a tremendous job and to be a part of that, like um, that's probably the most I've learned, you know, how to deal with people and how to, and, and how to deal with an organization that I didn't know before, because I was always just a player, but to see behind the scenes, the thought, the process of changing the kids' minds when things are going bad and moving everybody in a positive way into the future. So that that's been a huge learning thing for me, and I'm I continue to learn from him. But um, he does he does a great job at that.
3: I think the 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 the, the you know, buzzword that in that question is obstacle, and and what we've done is is I mean, I guess to put it bluntly, we you know I buy the guys a book every year, and the book I buy them is the obstacle is the way. So the obstacle is the way is a great book, great author Ryan Holiday that gives examples and all these things on how to turn obstacles into your advantage. It teaches you how to turn adversity into your advantage. And again, we're a program where everybody in the world created obstacles for us. They, 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 they conjured them up, whether it be hiring me, whether it be no conference, whether it be Oceanside, whether it be jumping into it in four or five months, there were a million obstacles that everybody created, but, we have, we have done a great job collectively making all those obstacles our reason and our pathway to succeed. And, and that book does a tremendous job teaching you how to do that. And our guys have all read that. Um, and it's just, it's just being able to get everybody to buy into that. And you know, the, the, the best example is Oceanside where, you know, maybe for a couple of years guys weren't so excited to show up to such a, a humble, crappy facility now our guys love it. They love it because they know that's ours and we're going to win. You know, in, in Boston College or BU or Ohio, whoever we play, Quinnipiac last year, they don't walk into that building excited about being there. And, and, and we have to foam with the mouth at that notion and take advantage of it, and we've done that. So, um, uh, you know, we, we, we remove all obstacles and excuses.
4: Well, if I could add to that, one of the things that 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 Powers spoke into truth years ago was was that we're going to make the tournament out of Oceanside, and he said that to me over a beer or whatever, you know, after a game, and you know, it, probably another tough loss, and you know, maybe there was some bad news about the rink or you know the new facility being built, and and I said something like, I can't wait to get this new new facility finally, and where we can, you know you make it to the tournament. He was like, yeah, but we're going to do it out of Oceanside. How great would it be to do it out of Oceanside? Nobody thinks we can do it and we're going to do it. And he was right. We actually did it twice. It wasn't for COVID, but um, you know, that that's just kind of one of those things that, that he literally spoke into reality and um, it it was a lot of hard work. And but, but it happened. And if you think about that, like, the rinks that we play in, like the facility we're at here today and the one we were at last week and the one in Wisconsin and the one we're going to next week and then Minnesota and then you look at Denver and all these places BU, and BU and these rinks that these Blue Bloods play in compared to what we're in and we've been ranked in the top 10 for a good part of the last two seasons. It's it's pretty incredible.
1: I, uh, I literally just started reading the obstacles, of the ways so I'm like 15 pages in. So what I'm hearing is finish the book from you guys. Um, Great
3: book.
1: We've uh, we've kept you for a lot of your day. I, I think most of the other listener questions have kind of tied into stuff we've already talked about. So I apologize that we didn't get to all those to the listeners, but I just want to say thanks so much guys for the, uh, for the time here. And we, we all in Arizona appreciate what you're doing, not just for ASU, but just for hockey in, in the Valley and the state.
2: What are you guys going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do when you get
3: home finally after that Ohio state series? Um, uh, well, aside, family aside, obviously we're obviously going to spend a ton of time with family, but I think we're probably going to, um, I have really nice pickleball courts in my neighborhood that, that I'm really <laughs> spoiled and playing in, in those pickleball. We call them the privates. And, uh, so I'm going to have the, the staff over and, and, and families over and, and, uh, and we'll play a, a, in a really nice pickleball setting. We're tired of this, the, the public's, you know, out here in state college with, <laughs> makeshift lines on tennis courts and higher nets and we i'm excited to get back to real pickleball
4: courts Dixie? <laughs> um yeah aside, aside for the family i'm actually looking forward to walking my dog um yeah. and, and you know what we were never really touched on it um it never came up but uh our families have you know we're on the road but our families have really sacrificed a lot you know um my wife and and kids and, and powers, obviously, and, and field. So we're just looking forward to going back and spending time with them. It's been hard on them. It really has, you know uh, you know, driving the kids around, my kids are older, but powers has got to, you know, his wife driving them to hockey and all over the place. And uh, so we really appreciate their sacrifice.
2: All right, guys, great stuff. And thanks for taking all the time to, to share your insights and, and memories and everything else we talked about today.
3: Thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks
1: guys. Take, Take care. care. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks to uh, ASU head coach Greg Powers and assistant coach Alex Hicks. Um, have you ever played pickleball, Craig?
2: I have not, but like, I, it, it's weird. Like, up until this year, I hadn't even heard of it. And now, like, I've, I've talked to like probably 10
1: people about pickleball. See, I, I wasn't joking that we played it in like junior high, or like middle school up in Seattle. I remember playing it like when I was 10, 11, 12, like pretty much every day. And then. I left Seattle. I hadn't heard of it until, like you said, like a year ago. <laughs> Apparently it is sweeping the, uh, the ASU hockey program.
2: And also uh, like, uh, John Hayden, new coyote, his entire family place. It was yes. in the story that I wrote on him too. So like everybody plays pickleball and
1: I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it so much more than tennis, probably cause I'm not good at tennis, but like pickleball, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so fast paced and the ball's never hitting the ground. If, if assuming we were playing it the right way, when I was 10 years old, I don't know how much the game has evolved. Uh, okay. We're going to wrap up here, but I'm just, scrolling through um, trying to find any listener questions that uh, are outside of uh, outside of ASU. This is from Chris and Phoenix is Jamie Eisner, the latest replacement for Peter Cetera in Chicago, Where is napkin Jamie just left to wipe up the tears of rock and roll regrets. <laughs> oh, that was, that was almost poetic. Um, Rose, we're seeing a lot of extra management hires in the coyotes organization. Is that an indication that financial troubles are improving?
2: I don't know. I just think, I think they're reshaping the organization. I mean, I, there's no, there's no questioning that they've lost a lot of money. It's, it's been really tough on the Coyotes, I'm sure, but they, as as they have said over and over again, they want to build a first-class organization and, and they felt like they had to do a lot of stripping down first to, to get it
1: to that point. So I think that's just uh, sort of along that path. Uh, Booper writes in, this is a huge question. What are your thoughts on this? And, uh, Tags, the, uh, the, yeah, yeah. Craig, I gotta say, the the first thought, other than the fact that that is Dylan Playfair, who's the coach, who is also in uh, was in Letterkenny, and obviously ties to Jim Playfair, the former Coyote system. Emilio Estevez kind of looks like Wayne Gretzky in that trailer. I don't know if this is like intentional or what happened. <laughs> I didn't have that thought myself, but okay. Uh, go back and watch. Go back. I mean, not Wayne Gretzky, like not skills on the ice, not Wayne Gretzky when he was a player, but like kind of looks like Wayne Gretzky when Wayne Gretzky was uh, the Coyotes coach. <laughs> All right. uh, let's see what else we have here. Greg writes in for Jamie. Where does he see the avalanche finishing in the new division? Well, we can answer for him since he's not here. He, uh, I would assume is picking them last again. And um, also, we haven't had a duck or penguin update in quite some time. Luke, do we need to send an MPS or PPS to do a wellness check? I'm glad uh, we're the, ending on this question. <laughs> all the ducks are, are, are fine and well. They're actually not that far from where I'm recording uh-huh. this. Uh-huh. So, um, give, camera again. Yeah, you'll just have to take my word for that. But eventually, I'm sure you guys will get a picture of the ducks tweeted out from the show account. Won't that be exciting for everybody? Well, there was that sign that one of
2: them held up earlier in the podcast behind you. Oh, he wasn't. The only letters there. I saw
1: were H-E,
2: something else be, be, that was hidden by your hat.
1: I'm assuming it was hello. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't help. Um, yeah, they'll make an appearance once we have a, an official start date to the NHL season. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us. Thanks to Greg Powers. Thanks to Alex Hicks. I, I guess thanks to Jamie Eisner. Uh, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick podcast.